Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Digital transformation. Today, we are talking about the world of art and museums. And so, Probably every 10 or 15 episodes, right, Megan? We, we try to bring in a non-healthcare guest and really try to compare like what's going on in other industries and how they might transfer over to healthcare. Jane Alexander. Jane, welcome to our podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's so cool because, you know, we both were in Cleveland at the same time. You're obviously still there. I'm no longer there. But I'm, I'm telling you that the first time that I lived there was in, uh, what, when did I move there? Gosh, it was like uh, early 2000s, 1999. And we took our kids to the Cleveland Museum of Art and it was amazing and it was so fascinating. We, we loved the exhibit, especially our kids at that age were pretty young, so they loved, you know, sort of the medieval, um, I don't know what you would call it exactly, but the art. Medieval court. Yes. Yeah. And, and then my son later, so, you know, advanced 15, 20 years and he gets, married and where do they take the pictures right outside you know that beautiful terrace and um so it 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 has a, a lot of meaning to me uh the cleveland museum of art and then i'll tell you one last thing jane and we'll jump right in because i had that experience of the cleveland museum of art so when i moved to dallas i thought well if cleveland had such a grand museum i'm gonna find something even more grand in Dallas, and not to be negative about Dallas, and I love being here in Texas, uh, there's nothing that compared to the Cleveland Museum of Art. And uh, it's quite fascinating, but I know since you've been there, you're doing a lot of cool things, what we would all call a digital transformation, so we're gonna jump right in. But the but there's two standard questions that I ask all of our guests, and the first one is songs on your playlist. So what kind of songs, music, do you like to listen to? Uh, <laughs> That's a really funny question for me, because if you go on a road trip with me, you're either like, this is awesome music, or you're like, get me, drop me off at the next uh, gas station, <laughs> because um, I have everything on my phone from uh, from the over, you know, over at least over a decade, even when my kids were young. So everyone would use Apple Music and download whatever they needed. So I mean, it's very eclectic. So it's it, you never know what's going to come up. Um, and I've never really taken the time to clean things up. But it could be, um, you know, Caravan, because I, I really like jazz, you know, John, it could be uh, where we love music, it could be, you know, something from Hamilton and any kind of soundtrack, but it also Peter Gabriel and Red Hot Chili Papers, but it could be Roxy Music, Steely Dan, Taylor Swift, Pink Floyd, but then also my daughters all played um, violin, so yeah. it could be a violin, Mendelssohn's violin concerto from when they were practicing for that, or um, Talking Heads, or um, Jay-Z, and you know, oh, it, it could be uh, Selena Gomez. I mean, it's all over the place. So it's fun. Gloria Gaynor, it comes up and um, and, and, and I'm going to be like even listening to this list, be like, yeah, why did I even mention those? But it is all over the place. So it's spin the wheel when you drive in our car. And um, and so, yeah, that's my music list. I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone out there. No, that sounds kind of fun. And actually, you mentioned a few, you know, that I haven't thought of in a while. So now subliminally, you know, later on today, I'll be uh, trying to download that music if I don't have it already. <laughs> what about any sort of uh, 
life message, slogan, you know, uh, quote, are, are there any sort of things, mantras that, that you're particularly moved by that sort of guide you in your, in your life? Um, well, I mean, there's all these great leaders that always talk about passion. And so I don't remember them, but Einstein or Mandela, always are, there's a, both of them have, you know, passion is energy and, you know, don't play, you know, don't play small, go for it. And honestly, yeah. that's what I, I, you know, I, you're here, be passionate about what you're doing. And if you're not, you know, switch and do something else. And no matter how small it is, you know, like give it your all because that's where it takes you to yeah. another place. No, 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 you're right on, right. It's all about having that passion. And if you're not passionate about it, move on. That, that's, that's wisdom right right there and give it everything you've got. And, you know, that's obviously why you're successful, uh, you know, living by those couple of things. You know, as we get into this, you know, I'd be interested in hearing your story personally, professionally. It's just, you know, you can go back how far you want and but up to the to the present, you know, and how did you become, you know, in, into your role as a chief digital information officer of the Cleveland Museum of Art? Well, uh, I started at the Clean Museum of Art in two, March 1st, 2010, and um, I was extremely excited to start this position. I uh, had been a consultant in contracting when uh, for the previous five years when my kids were younger, and I don't know if everyone remembers, but the between 2006 to 2010, it wasn't very good here. And uh, lots of projects were paying less and um, people were doing less. And I was like, oh my goodness, I need to get back to having benefits and everything for my, um, as a single mom with two girls. So I, uh, so I was looking and of course there wasn't a lot of stuff out there, but then when I read this description, it was like a dream job. And it was, uh, uh, it was about, um, creating awe-inspiring iterative digital projects that gave, followed the mission of the museum, which the mission of Cleveland Museum of Art, I take, um, to heart is uh, to create transformative experiences for the benefit of all forever. And I was very excited. Also, uh, Cleveland Museum of Art was going through a $320 million building project. They were, part of it was the Maltas had given money to create uh, an innovative space that was at the center of the of intertwining art and innovation and giving people the tool sets to look closer, dive deeper, taking away the um, intimidation of an art museum. A lot of people thought museums are dusty and old. And if I have kids, it's a lot of don't touch, be quiet. And so how do you really make art matter or relevant to everyone? And I grew up in New York City, and I uh, and in New York, it also in uh, outside in Westchester, and we went to museums all the time. But I don't have an art history degree. I have applied mathematics and an architecture degree. But when I was in this, I love the spaces. I love looking around. But you know, if you don't have art history degree and you don't want to read all the didactic, you know, what what are you supposed to actually do? And so I thought. I was really excited about um, this challenge. And so that is why I took the job. And um, I cannot believe I've been here over a decade because um, every job I've had since graduation 
has been a job that's never really been had held before. And I usually come in and um, create a foundation, make sure that it's able to be sustainable or scalable. And then I'm usually, as I said, Pash, I want to move on and do something else. And this position has every time I think, okay, well, we finished that, something new comes up and the museum supports it. And we are able to forge ahead. And truly, um, I've been to museums all over the world and Cleveland Museum of Art is one of the top museums in the world. I mean, it has an amazing collection. Their exhibitions are beautiful, but we are really about using digital innovation to give people ways into the collection. And it excites me every day. Yeah, I know. that. That's why I'm I'm super stoked also about having this discussion. And and yeah, I think people still have this old paradigm many times about museums. They maybe went, they were forced to go maybe when they were a kid or something. They've never been back in because they think it's the same sort of stodgy place. But actually, they're super innovative, super transformative. And you've helped lead that. And so uh, I definitely want to dive into it. But before we go there, tell us a little bit. Can you give us a little bit of color background? Because most of our audience, right, is healthcare, sort of digital officers, CIOs, across payers, life sciences, providers, and probably don't have a lot, you know, a lot of experience in the in the whole industry of museums and art museums. So can you kind of share a little bit about that genre? So it gives us a little bit of understanding into your world. Well, I mean, this is my first um, art museum ever. I mean, and now it's become sort of, uh, uh, I can't imagine uh, not working with museums or art. Uh, I started in academia. I uh, was the director of Columbia University's, uh, it was called uh, Columbia Video Network. And what it was is one of the very first distance education. They called it distance education, not learning back then. And it was uh, totally uh, just for masters of engineering. And it was all corporate based. And um, it was through dedicated T1 lines. We let, later transferred to the very first sort of video conferencing sort of dating myself. We were um, the one of the first ever to put um, on the early web uh, complete syllabus so we could actually be able to be able to sell these classes to different companies like AT&T and IBM and Intel. And, um, and so uh, I uh, did, it was sort of a small entrepreneur group within, um, within uh the engineering school. And it's very similar, even though I had a lot in between that job and this job, is that um, it's very similar in that the Columbia University was um, worried that this would take away the credibility, I mean, of what they do. Um, People are always scared that technology is, you know, will can take away the scholarship in in that if it's used right, it actually enhances it. And so we had to convince um, professors to teach on this because it was live. But just like at the Cleveland Museum of Art, once you're you know, a curator versus a professor, once we are working with you, your um, your your assets are not only available to engineering students on site or the public on site. We, we make, uh, you know, we've it, it, people uh, wanted to take these classes because the library had all the notes and all the syllabi ahead of time. It had VHS tapes, VHS tapes of the class, you know, if you want to rewatch it. And so um, it really was, and it was also, I had to figure out everything from 
how to strategically convince um, people that this was valuable to um, getting buy-in, creating a team of people, and doing everything from um, the back end, the integration of how do you take a bursar system and a registrar system in a um, that are that were pretty antiquated in these university, and then build a middleware on top of it so that you could build these companies with the thirty percent on it, and they could get it the way they wanted. But you're actually still had to be look like in the university as an actual single student. And so um, all that sort of set me up for this position. And then from there, I, I, I moved to uh, Cleveland during the um, to work at Case for um, Weatherhead for the dean then who ended up going to become the president of Tulane five months after I moved to Cleveland. But uh, and, and I kind of took the job because he had that passion and that vision. But he really wanted to make um, the, a business school the most innovative place. And they were working with Frank Gehry and the thought of sort of intertwining my information science and my applied math and my architecture all in one project sounded really exciting. But that was a project that the, not only the, the dean leave, but the president left and another dean left. And so that's one of those projects that it was a lot of documenting and getting to the finish line is it didn't really have the excitement of, as, of other projects, although um, now they're doing amazing things. But that was back in the um, late 90s, early 2000s. And then um, I've gotten to do a lot of different um consulting projects and worked uh, downtown and worked for a firm in Chicago while living in Cleveland. And that's brought me here. Yeah, no, that's, it's really fascinating. Are, is there a tight community of art museums? So do they do, do you have peers that you speak with, you know, around the country, around the world? Like, do you, like oh, a- yeah, it's a small, it's a small world. Um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, well, in innovation and digital, there are, um, uh, I mean, since COVID, there really hasn't been the in-person um, conferences that they've had, but there is uh, Museums in the Web and MCN, both um, annual conferences that people share what they're doing in innovation, digital technology in their museums. Um, when I started, a lot of museums were just kind of getting into it. And even here at the Cleveland Museum of Art, it it's taken you know a decade to really restructure and and have the right skill sets and team and I, I would say that's one of the things that I'm best at is putting a team together and really letting their expertise shine to get things done. So a lot of museums were using other departments to kind of run their technology and they would hire outside vendors and then they would create a kind of standalone product and every museum people were wearing many hats and it would become outdated or someone new would come in and start over with a different project. And so what has made Cleveland Museum of Art um, successful and also kind of something everyone comes to look at is that we really put a lot of energy into our back end so that every there's always one source of truth that could probably be another mantra I have here is that we pull data from the application of truth you know so that you're that when we update when a curator or educator or registrar changes a date or writes a new didactic, it goes everywhere. It goes to the collection online, to the open access, to all the interactives that object's in, so that there's always one source of truth. Everything's API driven. Um, We believe in um, 
Uh, we're really working a lot on accessibility. We do cross-departmental collaboration on all digital projects so that we have someone from curatorial, exhibitions, interpretation, communication at the table because it takes it all to kind of do it right. We don't, we don't do technology for technology's sake. We really, we work and we understand what are the learning goals, uh, what is the audience, and then we create and build towards that. And then we bring in expertise that are not within the Daily Museum team to help us get, create and concept when it's something new. But whatever we create, we then internally maintain, update, and continually add to. And so iteration and prototyping and proofs of concept are also other things that have made us where we are today. Yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of uh, commonality. And uh, th- those are some good examples of just ba- the leadership that you're you're uh, serving there in terms of collaboration and bringing the whole team together. So before we head into some specific examples, I'm just curious, again, just for the audience sake as well, you know, in healthcare, it's sort of competitive, right? You know, there's this top 20 list and you know, because you're in Cleveland and Cleveland uh, Clinic often is in the top one, two, three, definitely the top five. And is it the same with museums? Do they, are you a little bit competitive with one another, uh, you know, on a national level in terms of, you know, the, you know, what sort of transformations going on, what sort of type of exhibits? Um, that's a great question. I would say that, I mean, there's always list of where people fall in Cleveland's up there. Um, but we're, it's, it's where I'm not, when I'm creating, we're not competing with other museums. I mean, we're, and especially if you're even talking art museums, we want to make art a part of everybody's. We believe art matters, be it emotionally, aesthetically, historically, there's something for art in everyone. And so we're not competing against another museum. We want to get you through the door. We want to get you online to explore the collection. We're competing with, you know, families staying home and watching all different shows on Netflix in their own rooms. You know, so I don't think we're we're competing. In fact, what I love about the community is how much we share. I mean, people will write me from anything for can you share your strategic roadmap, your plan, a job description? Can you tell can you come and speak to our our board? Just tell them how you did it. I'll ask people to come. When I wanted to do open access, I invited the chief digital officer from the Met to come and talk to our executive team because you bring people in and out and it brings a different credibility. So it's a really nice network of people. And we all sort of have the same passion and goal to really um, it's it's about how do we meet people where they are, because um, I do believe there's something for everyone. Yeah, no, I love it. And and you're right. It's it's let, you're, you're not someone's not not going to the Cleveland Museum of Art because they're going to travel to Philadelphia uh, just for the art museum type thing. Uh, whereas the healthcare is a little bit uh, different. So that's why I was very curious. So let's talk about digital transformation at Cleveland Museum of Art. So you've already talked a little bit about interactiveness and, you know, sort of the art and innovation. Can you share some examples? Because when I looked into this, I was like really pleasantly surprised. And I was like, I need to get my butt back out into the art museum and uh, see what's going on. When's the last time you were at the art museum? It it was uh, probably three, four years ago. So I need to get. Yeah. Yeah. Even since then. So, um, so as I said, when I came in 2010, we not, we launched a a whole, a beautiful building um, with, but, 
I had to make sure the technology infrastructure is in place for what we were going to do and grow with the museum. And we originally launched Gallery One, uh, which used um, a space that had masterworks and technology to get people to, you know, really look closer and understand an object. Um, And then the third, and we also create an app, Artlands app, which um, has every object on view at all times. As I was saying, all about that integration of that backend system that allows um, everything is always up to date every 15 minutes, any changes are always updated. Um, So we have a wall, 40 feet wide. It's 10 years old on 12, 12, 12. I can't believe it. It's been copied around the world and yet I still think ours is the best and it's just it, it, the the secret to this wall was that every uh, again that it would grow with the museum so we haven't changed anything to the wall we maintain it we clean it but it pulls from the back end so everything that's on view is always on the wall and when things goes off view it goes off and then we have we create different every 30 seconds a different thematic grouping would come up sometimes it's a serious grouping um, about a different type, a category of art. And other times it could be called hats or chairs, and it's just chairs in the art collection or hats. Or one is called googly eye and all these weird eyes in portraits. And, you know, it's, and again, it's about bringing people into the collection in multiple ways. But anything you touch, um, it's a it's a visualization of the entire collection. And you can start in uh, ancient sculpture and end up in contemporary photography simply by standing in front of the wall, when you see something you like, you touch it, and it goes right to your phone all through beacons. And then you can create your own tour. And then through the wayfinding, you it takes you where in the museum all these artworks that you've seen. So the wall democratizes the collection. And then you select what you want. And then off you go. Um, and a lot of times families pick one object. And they go off and they see that one object and it's success. So that all launched in 12-12-12. Um, and then in 2016, we re-looked at um, the space to see what was working and not working. And one of the things we noticed was that people thought it was a kid's space. So we thought, I realized we really had to, um, to design for the digital native. And um, my youngest child at the time was probably an eighth grade and she would take my phone and download Angry Birds and play Angry Birds because she was the only child who didn't have an iPhone. No, I, <laughs> And um, I would say, who taught you that? How do you know how to play that? And she would say, no one taught me that. And I started to realize that digital natives, the way they, if they just touch things and look at it and their brain's like, oh, I got it. And if it's designed well, then they'll start over and they'll play it. And so I thought, what if we took away, because there's always, we were had too much text and too much description and that we removed the interfaces, that we made everything gesture-based and we had people be able to, you know, if it was if it was done well, you would figure out how it worked and then start over. And so that was the beginning of really rethinking the space. And so we kept the masterworks, we kept the main goals of giving you the tool sets to look closer, dive deeper, but we also thought, could you like do an art 
history 101 class or museum his museum class 101 simply through gameplay so this space that has these artworks there's these projections and you walk up on these big walls and it will start a game and and you'll understand composition geometric composition abstract composition you'll understand um the how to look at symbolism how to decode it and you'll understand um emotion and gesture of an object and purpose. So one of the games is what's the modern equivalent of what this object is? And you have to decide, oh, it's a it's a it's a wine bottle or um and then other ones you get to actually wear, digitally wear the objects that once you figure out where where what do you think it is and then it is placed on you. Um, we also use eye tracking so that you look at an object for 15 seconds. The average person looks at a painting or an object for two to nine seconds. So in 15 seconds, you know, it tracks where your eyes looked and then it shows how you looked at, you know, where your eyes went and that what was the artist's intent in getting you to look at the object. And then it, it, it compares you to how other visitors looked. Um, and we do, we use AI for, there is also, you know, you don't have to like an object to enjoy, you know, going to an art museum. Some things are kind of frightening or uncomfortable or, you know, there's many different emotions. So we have um, one thing where Eagle, um, it will give you a bunch of different objects to look at and you make a face to how you feel. And uh, and then it, it shows all the other faces that felt the same way about a certain object. And so there's just, again, many fun ways into it. The funny thing is, is this has now been up for six years, this whole new redo, and we are about to um, brainstorm and rethink what is the museum of the 21st century? How do we use this space to even innovate more? So that's that's sort of our big art lens gallery. But our biggest latest thing was we had an exhibition in uh, November of 2021 through January of 22. And it was the very first immersive scholarly exhibition. So I clarify that in that, like, we have immersive Van Gogh that people have gone to and those kinds, and there are projections in these spaces, and you sit in the middle, and you have music, and you can watch these different um, interactions of art, and um, and they're beautiful, and they're, they are what they are, and um, I'm not saying they're bad or good, they're, they, that's their entertainment value, and, and that's super fun, but what we do is we use technology to... Um, you know, take away having to read three panels of text. So this was a very complex story about a Cambodian, a 1,500-year-old Cambodian sculpture that um, is in our galleries that had been conserved in the 70s. And we found out through technology and working with Case University that it had been conserved incorrectly and that another god from the same, from Phnom Da, the same area, the same mountain um, was conserved incorrectly with the other parts. So they had to take it all apart from the 70s and switch the parts and put them together. And sort of this was kind of what the show was. So that's a very complex story to show and why is this important. So we um, created a three uh uh, 360 immersive video where you walk, you know, uh, people think of, people don't know where Cam Cambodia is, let alone Phnom Da. So you traveled its waterways to get to Phnom Da. And then 
um, when you walked out of this space, you walked right into the sculpture gallery of the sculptures of Encobre, which is where Phnom Da is near. And then we had a HoloLens 2 experience where it was one of the first HoloLens experiences of any kind. A lot of times you go into a space and you look around, but this, we actually had you physically traveling. And we had to also get in an exhibition, you know, be able to get, you know, 60,000 up to, you know, people through. And how would you do that? So we made it kind of like a ride. And how do you onboard people to HoloLens? How do you give them all the instructions when you have people that have never used technology, people who don't know what they're about to do? So we did it really in that every two minutes, six people were onboarded. And two minutes later, they went to station one, and there were six stations. And in the next two minutes, the next people went. And we also set it up so that the very first station, you're just standing still, and you're hearing the person talk, and it's giving you the sculptures. But we know you might not be hearing it all, you might still be getting used to it and trying to adjust it. And the next station, now you're brought to the mountain table and you see all these 3D, all eight gods from Pananda. And then you follow our Krishna to um, to the Stokely Palace in Belgium and back to the conservation labs in Cambodia. And the final station, you know, where you've walked through this whole thing, the final station is you've walked into the actual cave temple, looking at our Krishna, what it looked like work at with, with 1500 years ago with the shiny dark skin and gold jewelry, fully not fragmented. And, you know, our, our, uh, many um, conservation and our curator work so that it was exact. You know, all this was, you know, what it would look like. And a, a conservators today would never try to fill in a sculpture to show you what it looked like. But with technology, you could really give people a context. And what did that cave look like? And how big was it? Was it? And then when you came out of this space, the two gods, for the first time, were on these pedestals in a museum, fragmented, you know, missing knees, and one had an arm, and one didn't, and, but now you knew the story. Now you got it. And so, um, and then from there, we also, because there was eight guides on Panamda, we did photogrammetry and life-size of each god, and when you walked up to it, all through gesture base, um, the it showed different hotspots and like let you understand the iconography of each and every god. And they we had loans from Cambodia, so you were able to walk back and look at those gods again in a new way. And then the very last um, was a immersive timeline video that was narrated by Angelie Jolie and. Um, uh, Luang Ung, who wrote First They Killed My Father, and she did the movie with um, Angelique Jolie. And it was really about um, the roles of museums and why it's important that, you know, what's the best way to collaborate with museums and how, you know, why are objects from different countries actually in these spaces and what it does for people. So even though we had the challenges of the pandemic and Omicron starting up and people had to wear masks and a HoloLens, we've had amazing exhibitions at this museum, top notch. This one had the highest experience rating ever. People gave it um, excellent or above 97%. And that was with technology. So what was so successful about that is people weren't walking out saying, that technology is cool. I mean, they might've mentioned it, but when they walked out, it was like, 
that was such an interesting story. Like that is so cool that we do this. Oh, like I want to go, where's the, where are the rest of the Cambodia sculptures? Like what else can we, you know? And to me, that's a success. So that's what we recently sort of launched, which was a really big deal. And the board was, um, which when I came 10 years ago, you know, people were very scared of Artlands Gallery. As I said, they thought it would take away the credibility of our great museum. And uh, this, we were rewriting a new strategic plan for the next five, or it was the second half of the strategic plan with new objectives and tactics. And a lot of it is filled with digital innovation for the future. And so that's in the space, but the other big thing was during the pandemic, when the museum closed down in March 2020, uh, a lot of museums were, you know, didn't know quite what to do. And they were putting up older yeah. videos and uh, they call them virtual tours, um, which to me were lacking engagement. But we had our back in place for all the things we had done with Artlands Gallery and how we had thought about it. And we had launched an open access policy in 2019. So we were able to create um, AI tool sets, um, videos, online programs. Uh, we have uh, a daily prompt that people are playing all over the world still called Artland Slack, where whatever's going on in the world, it gives you a prompt and you pick an artwork. It's kind of like a pick an artwork meets the New York caption contest and you write something. And at the end of the day, your team, where, you know, like our department is a team, um, the exhibition is comes up and then what everyone picked and what they wrote. And it was a really, it's really fun. And it's a way into the collection because then of course you can dive in and it does work. Cause sometimes I'm like, I haven't even seen this object and I'll go to the, it takes you to the page and you can watch videos or look at the context. But again, it was really, it was at first we were all kind of bummed cause we were doing all these prototyping for this Krishna project and we went home and no one knew what was going on. And then by the next week we had pivoted to really rethink what is, what is online and what does that mean? Wow. Jane, I, I knew that, that there's be a lot of applicability uh, to healthcare. And I was wondering if healthcare was ahead of the art or art museum was ahead of healthcare, but I can tell you, you all are way ahead. And, uh, and, it, and it's so cool, the things that you were talking about, because it really, what you know, I took a ton of notes and what kept coming up for me, and sometimes you, you said it yourself, is experience and engagement. And, you know, that's the thing that we struggle with in healthcare. And you gave all sorts of ideas without me asking you the question, all sorts of ideas on how some of the technology that you leverage uh, to make it happen. And I'll, and I'll tell you one other thing before I forget the thought is I've, I've been to the Louvre recently and uh, the Hermitage. Uh, not that long ago. And unless I missed it, they are not doing anything as advanced as you all. I mean, so it's, it's, it's very exciting. I'm really pumped now. So I come back to Cleveland every couple months because I'm on the board of Summa Health. And so I usually stay in Cleveland because, you know, all my friends and stuff. And uh, I'm definitely coming by because it's been pre-pandemic. Uh, and I'll give you a walk. I'll give you a tour. Come on by. I'm sorry you've missed the Krishna exhibitions over but um but i'm happy to give you a tour of artlands gallery yeah um i mean that is i will say what cleveland's advantage has been that um that they really did with the maltz thinking about it in two in 2010 or not before that 
um, starting off. And then the, you know, the Fowlers have, you know, jumped in and added to the innovation and education. And um, Cleveland's a place where there's that um, pride and we've, it's not been easy, but um, really have, you know, momentum. And and, uh, we also, as I say, we don't do one-offs. We build upon things when we're not always, people, I I just kind of did a talk on, why our um, why how iteration made our back end a star because people always talk about Artlands Gallery if they haven't been here they've heard about it in the museum world but we're doing so much more on the back end yeah. so that we're able to pivot and and think creatively and figure out how, how we can um, accommodate different audiences I'll I'll give you one other example. So, you know, when we all went home in March, we thought maybe till the summer. I don't think we all knew how long, you know, what we were in for. Maybe maybe you being in healthcare knew a little bit more. But um, we, uh, so in August of 2020, all of a sudden teachers were still going to be teaching from home and college kids weren't going to be in the classes and people were already zoomed out or zoom fatigue and so and you know museums were make getting better at making videos and stuff but i was like now we need quicker ways into the collection and so that's when we came up with and you should go online and check it out it's really fun it's called artlens ai and it was share your view and the point was okay now we're not in the class together so take a picture of where you're at and then upload it and it matches with something in our open access collection. And then if you don't like your match, you can shuffle. Yeah. And cool. and then when you like something, you can um, share it, obviously social media, but you can add it to our gallery. And there are, incre- I love looking at what people do it and it takes you to the page. So we did this for teachers. So it could be a way to get into class. It could be a way to start a paper. It could be a way, it was just a different way to engage that wasn't watching yet another screen for a long time. You were actually being part of it together. You're part of the whole experience and the whole engagement. But we were able to do that because we've really done the work on thinking about how do you do these projects so that we can then focus on the learning goals and the audiences. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a point not to be missed for sure. The iteration, as you called it, the iteration on the back end, which enables all these things to have happen. So that's really good. I want to end with one last question, kind of put you on the spot a little bit. And and that is, you know, based on all this experience that you have and you know how the tech works and you know, this experience engagement and, and clearly you've had, you have kids. So you, you've interacted with the healthcare system at some point. What's one thing, like, let's just say you became the chief digital officer across the street there at the Cleveland clinic. What, what's one thing that you might bring over from the museum of art world into healthcare? Well, I, again, I would need to understand what different, what are some of the things that are in need? What are, what are things that are lacking? I mean, and then, because I don't let, I mean, I would want to, again, think about ways to engage people, to take them to, to, to take them somewhere else or give them the information they need to make them feel more comfortable. Or maybe I would think about the people that 
that come to have to come to visit so that someone who's sort of terminally ill, what do we do to help these people? You know, I would, I first, I would, again, I would think of, I would really work with the experts in the field and find out what, what are the issues? What are they trying to solve for? And then, um, and then again, what I, I, I would do is I would create a team of people, bring all the experts to the table to represent the different areas and and begin to brainstorm and then yeah. go from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm speaking generically, not about any specific healthcare system hospital, but, uh, you know, the things that you're, you're, you're doing and the way that you're doing them uh, can really help. We talk a lot about digital transformation, you know, in every industry, uh, but some of the things that you're talking about are, are um, very inspiring and things that we need to bring over into healthcare more prolifically. You know, I, there's certainly, uh, I call it pockets of brilliance that happen. Like yeah. one organization doing something, um, but it's not across all organizations and not all doing it. So, and that's what we really need for the patient. And I will say, I will say our museum um, does have connection with, um, with different with the Cleveland Clinic and other places, and they, they work on different educational programs and things like that. So I do know people are always thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, and that's why exactly why we have you as a guest, and we've had guests from the music industry and movies and stuff like that because we can learn from one another. And sometimes healthcare is a little bit behind uh, many industries, and so it's always easier for us to learn, you know, and seeing what other people have pioneered. So Jane, this has been fascinating. I appreciate uh, you taking the time. I, I know our listeners uh, do as well. Thank you so much for being on Digital Voices. Oh my goodness! Thank you for having. Sorry, I, I hope I was coherent. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Couldn't have been better. So that wraps up Digital Voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.